Hey, thank you very much for joining us once again on Entrepreneurs Start Here. I think we have a great episode for you guys today. We're talking to Ruth Egbaji. Uh, so this one, a very amazing story. She came from Nigeria, taught herself to code, became an expert in her field, got some of the most prestigious corporate jobs that one could get, and chose to leave that to start her own business, CodeWiz, a franchise that teaches kids how to, how to code, how to work with computers, how to pursue their own passions, much the way she did. Um, so really excited to tell you guys uh, about that. Excited to dive into that story. And I think we touched on a lot of really interesting themes today. Like, for example, you know, the fact that she works in a business that she's passionate about, you know, the talking about the dynamism between, you know, working a prestigious corporate job, making a lot of money that way, or pursuing, you know, your own individual success in business, in entrepreneurship. Um, how do you structure your day? What does it take to run a business like this? Uh, lots of really cool stuff. And particularly, I thought it was very interesting talking about mentorship because that's something that came up not, not once, but several times throughout her story. I think that's something that we're quite familiar with, Quentin, what do you think? It certainly is. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what you and I do day to day is, is help people work through their businesses. And so honestly, it was a little validating to hear her say that that's a really important thing. And that was something that really changed her path uh, but it, it really makes sense like if you're going through life without a mentor without somebody to bounce ideas off of or keep you on the right track um that could be that could leave you maybe not where you're exactly where you're wanting to go because there's so many distractions and things that come up especially if you're if you're running a business if you're in an entrepreneurial setting that has no right or wrong answer no specific track um, so that was really cool to say that that was one of the things that changed her life for sure, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, validating in that, you know, that's kind of one of the core principles of college. For, and I mean, you were my mentor when I was first starting out my, my franchise, and I guess I'm kind of passing that on to other people day to day now. So yeah, it was very cool hearing that come up. And I, uh, I guess I'm eager to have you guys hear this episode. I think it was a really good one. Yeah, enjoy. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's a real honor having you on considering the uh, I guess depth and breadth of the, the work that you've done. So thanks very much for taking the time to join us. How are things in Boston this morning? Um, Boston is good. We are digging ourselves out of 26 inches of snow, cool. uh, which yeah happened over the weekend and it just kind of piled on, but it's finally it's finally melting. So, which is good. So I was about to say probably better weather than up here in, in Ottawa, but I guess that is not the case. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> At least not this weekend, not this past weekend. <laughs> That's kind of how it's been going. Yeah, well, we've had a, quite a bit of snow here ourselves, actually. I guess I imagine that the plow trucks are a little slower in the uh, U.S. cities because they you know, don't have it as often. Is that like you guys must get stuck a little longer? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, so, so I live in the suburbs, so it's, uh, it's very, it's mostly like private companies that do the plowing. And so there's like a dime a dozen. So they're always kind of on the roads, um, salting and trying to help, um, homeowners kind of get unstuck. So it's usually not too bad within a day. Uh, the roads are usually clear. Okay. Fair enough. So I guess privatization is the American way. Yes, yes. Privatization makes it easy. But Texas, yeah, okay. They have like half an inch of snow and everybody's panicking. The government doesn't know what to do. The towns don't know what to do. They shut down schools for half an inch of snow. That happened, so that happened to me. I lived in I lived in Victoria, BC for a little while. Uh -huh. and, um, we, I came from Halifax 
and we moved to Victoria, BC. Halifax gets dumped with snow all the time. Oh. And then BC, there was a tiny little bit of snow and school was canceled <laughs> and it was it was great. I was so, so pleasantly surprised <laughs> in my girl's mind. <laughs> yeah, I can play with the government of Texas all you want, but there's some like cozy days off work right there for free. Yeah. Seems like a nice deal. So I guess Ruth, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but you get asked this a lot probably because it's such a great story. But I am very curious about your background, how you came to be, you know, working in, in tech and how specifically I guess that you came to to be running CodeWiz. Sure. Um happy to share. I so I am originally from Nigeria. I was born and raised um, in Nigeria back in the 80s, not to date myself, but it's it's so amazing, right? So with Codeways, we work a lot with um, college kids, and you know people would come in and be like, "I was born in 2002," and I'm like, "Wow, that seems so recent." <laughs> Uh, but anyways, back to my story. So I was born and raised in um, in Nigeria, and unfortunately, at that time, and even up up until now, there's there's a lot of um, religious crisis that goes on, and so grew up, you know, kind of knowing on specific days you don't go outside, um, you know, you understand how to run for your life. There were times when I did have to run for my life, and it just it just felt like this was not the life that i wanted to live forever and so i'd always wanted to you know get out i'd always wanted to have a chance of going somewhere else my parents um got their phd from the uk they had they got their phd in the uk and they, they came back to nigeria and then they had us there so i kind of understood just from their experience what life could be outside um outside of nigeria so so anyways, fast forward uh, a few years and I was in college still having this dream of wanting to just get out of that situation. And somebody just randomly introduced the idea of coding to me. I don't even recall what we were talking about, but he talked about it and it just, I was very intrigued and I wanted to, I wanted to learn more about it. So my undergrad degree is electrical engineering. And at that time, they were teaching some coding, but it was like basic and Fortran. I don't know how familiar you guys are with with coding, but that's like like it's very old. Like people stopped using that language in the 80s. And here we were in early 2000 being taught basic and Fortran and we were taught on paper. So we had to write our code on paper because we, <laughs> there were no computers to write it on. So it's that bad. And um, so he, he introduced the idea of, you know, modern coding, let's put it that way to me. And I was just like, okay, you know, I, I could, all I need is a laptop and, you know, some internet connection. I can download tutorials. I can teach myself. I, I can do this. And so that's how my journey into coding began. I remember um, very clearly having to, the internet works at night. So you have to wait. I'd have to wait till like 1 a.m. to start downloading stuff. And it, so this is like, I think it, then it was like maybe 300 and three, like 345 megabytes worth of data I needed to download, but it took weeks because it downloads kilobyte by kilobyte. And there's special software you have to have 
to that collects this it's like a bucket and so it's collecting this the data and so even if your internet connection breaks it will store what it's downloaded so far so anyway it took weeks to download to download that so when i came to the us and people are like internet is slow i'm like no it's not <laughs> this is blazing fast guys um but you know enduring through all of that started to teach myself how to code and you know, very quickly i i got stuck and that's that's sort of something that formed the foundation of how we teach kids how to code and i'll talk i can talk about that later but i got stuck and i just i was at the point where i was about to give up uh but then i i googled the problem i was having and there was a guy in india who had written a blog post about it so I reached out to him and I said, hey, this is a problem I'm having. Your blog post doesn't quite address this issue. Would you mind mentoring me and would you mind teaching me how to do this? And he said yes. And so over six months or so, we would go back and forth and he would you know, correct my code, give me some more resources to learn and so on. And that was how I ended up building this project from my my department so the one of the biggest challenges in the third world country is that class sizes are massive so in one class you could have like a thousand kids and you have maybe one professor with no tas and so i was trying to solve that problem where you know they didn't have to grade all our papers by hand was there a way to automate that so it's a really really big project for someone who is just learning how to code um, but hey, you got to dream big, right? Dream big, you start it and you figure it out, you know, as, as you keep going, which is what I did. And that kind of has been the theme of my life. So anyways, uh, with the guy's help from India, um, his name is Saroob. I just realized I never call his name. His name is Saroob. Um, <laughs> he helped me out. So it got done. And then I started to apply to colleges outside of Nigeria looking for scholarships because I knew that my parents could not afford to to send me uh, to pay for tuition. And there's we don't the concept of uh, school loans does not exist back in Nigeria. So um, applied everywhere, probably apply applied all over the world. And Tufts University was the only one that gave me um, admission with a full ride. And what is interesting was I did not think I was good enough to get into Tufts. I felt like it was such a, you know, top school there. There's no way they're going to want me. Uh, so I ended up applying like five minutes before the deadline uh, because I just I was talking myself out of it. But then I was like, fine, you know, it doesn't hurt, whatever, you know, just try. And they were the only ones that gave me uh, full rides, which is really interesting. So I came to the US, um, started my master's in computer science, um, you know, got that done. There's the whole story that, the whole story of getting done with that is like a whole different podcast um, on its own because there's like the whole, there's culture shock. I was coming in, having taught myself how to code and I was now a TA for people who had taken actual coding classes. So it was a rough experience um, in the end. And I, again, I think it, it really just ties into how CodeWiz has been formed and my whole entrepreneurship journey, I just realized that as long as I stay one step ahead of these kids, I am fine. You know, if they're teaching them chapter three and I learn chapter four, 
then I will be able to answer questions on chapter three. And if any kid by any chance has ventured into chapter four on their own, I'd be able to answer um, those questions as well. So that's kind of how I, I, I don't want to say faked my way, but that's how I BS my way through um, through being a TA in, in the first year as I was kind of just acclimatizing to, to the, the whole experience. So I got done with that. Um, I got my first job and I, I hated it, absolutely hated it. It was the worst, it was the boringest thing in the world. I had to test um, software. It's it's so boring. You know, people, the developers will, will, will push the code to the testing server and then I load it on my phone and then I start testing the phone and trying to find bugs. You can't put an optimist in a testing role because <laughs> we're just wired to think positively you need to put a scenic in the you know somebody who wants to break stuff like i want things to be built so i was in the end i was i sucked at that job because i never found the bugs because it was always like oh this looks pretty yeah it looks good but they really wanted someone to like break it and whatnot but i figured you know this is not my calling i need to do something else and so i i worked my way into um microsoft so at that time to get into microsoft you have to take like a course to learn how to pass the interview because it was such a such a big deal and at that time i thought you know if i can get into one of the top four tech companies i felt like i would be fulfilled like i would be happy and this would be that would be the end of the of my journey like i would i would find one and i would stay there and just you know rise through the ranks so I got into Microsoft feeling like, all right, this was it. I finally made it. And um, I was not happy at all. I really wasn't happy. I felt very unfulfilled. I felt like I was created for more. I felt like I could do more. I could be more. Um, I was a junior engineer. Nobody listens to the junior engineers. Their ideas are just ideas and they stay that way. And so there was this whole just desire to be my own boss and do my own thing. So um, after a while, we moved to the suburbs. The commute was like an hour and a half one day, one way. And I was just like, I am done. Can't do this anymore. I'm going to start my own business. Now, I've always been entrepreneurial. Uh, right from Nigeria, I've always started businesses. Even when I was working at Microsoft, I was trying to do a business on the side. I did, um, I did a dating site, which I think... If I had done that in 2020, I probably would have been very um, successful. So I, I just, I'd like to tell myself that I was ahead of my time um, back in, uh, when was it? I can't remember the exact, maybe 2011 or so, or 12. But anyway, so I've always been entrepreneurial and I decided, you know, I, I was gonna try to start my own business. Now, when it came to deciding what I wanted to do, I look back at my journey from Nigeria here. I thought about, you know, how much Sarab had impacted my life. Like if he hadn't given me the time of day back then, I will not be <clears throat> where I am today. I thought about how coding had changed my life and I felt like this was something that I wanted to pay forward and, you know, change somebody else's life in that way. And in my opinion, you know, there's no better way to impact people than by working with kids. 
So that's kind of how Code Wiz was was born. Uh, so we started in 2017. Cool. Yeah, and you know my my big goal at the time, and I'm probably answering the second question you have: How did you get into franchising? <laughs> <laughs> my big goal at the time uh, was to have five locations in um, in the Massachusetts area over 10 years. Uh, but I, you know, life happens. Uh, my son got sick. I knew there was no way that I could take care of him and grow the business on my own. And that's when I decided that, you know, franchising would make the most sense, bringing other people who are like-minded who also wanted to start their own business and you know have them build this together and here we are here we are very cool yeah uh i guess a question i have off the top of my head are you still in touch with sarab you guys chat to this day it's so funny everybody asked me that question um we are we are connected on linkedin so we chat back and forth on linkedin but I have never spoken to him. I think it's. I think we're overdue for that. I think I need to give him a call at the. So very it's always been just the email correspondence yeah, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very cool. I mean, the reason I ask is because uh, you hear so much. That, I mean, obviously, we're concerned, I guess, with helping young people kind of move into entrepreneurship for the first time. And you hear so much about mentorship, but I guess it's rare that you have such a you know clear cut example of that. So I guess to you, like, how valuable is mentorship in general? And how does a young person go about? You know finding a good mentor because i think that's something that, that you know can be extremely valuable as, as we've seen in your story yeah. but not always maybe easy for someone to wrap their head around in terms of how they see yeah I, I think i think you are spot on um with your observation that mentorship is it is critical and i think you know part of my journey too through after starting my business after starting codeways and then trying to go down the franchising route it was very confusing and very overwhelming. And there are so many um, people out there that are just ready to prey on people that don't know what they're doing. And one of the person that I will forever be grateful to is um, Angela Cote. She became my mentor um, in franchising at a very critical time where I was about to make a whole bunch of mistakes. And she really, really helped me not to make those mistakes. So I 100% I align with you on the need for for mentorship. Now, how do you how do you go about it? I think that's that that has been the lifelong struggle um, for me. And what I think I have found. So like like even when I was at Microsoft, they would tell you if you want to rise through the ranks, you have to find a mentor. Okay, but how? Like, what are you supposed to do? How, how do you do that? And what I think I've realized is that it's really just about putting yourself out there. You just you just kind of have to raise your hand and be as loud as you can and say, "Hey, this is this is who I am. This is my vision. This is where I'm going. This is what I'd like to do, and I need help. Who will help me?" You know. And when I say raise your hand, I mean that metaphorically. You know, you're reaching out to people, you are connecting with people, you're asking for help and you're not afraid. You will get no's, you know, you will get no, sorry, can't do it, no time. You will get people that will not respond to you. But the, I, I believe that the right person who is meant to help you will respond to you and um, 
and you know you can build that relationship with that person it will not work if you just sit down and you're waiting for someone to come to you it just won't work you you have to raise your hand and you have to put yourself out there be ready for rejection but also know that with rejection comes acceptance and you know somebody will just the perfect person for you somebody who gets you i think that's also something that's important somebody who gets you gets where you're going gets who you are and somebody who um, believes in you um, is is really critical in in mentorship. Did, did I answer that question? Yes, absolutely, you did. I think that's you know great to hear. I guess uh, I mean, yeah, like you like you say, it can be like a difficult thing. I think it's something that stops a lot of young people. I imagine. So I guess that's kind of something. Another thing that's so cool about what you do with Wood Code was like you say, helping other people in the same way that, that you were helped. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an important thing. I think it gets that's misunderstood maybe a lot when people mm -hmm. are starting it yeah and and i should add too sorry i'm sorry quinn quentin sorry quinn renamed you coming <laughs> from you're good okay okay um sometimes you have to pay for it that's also another thing that we we always think that mentoring has to be free and you know it only works if it's somebody doing it out of the goodness of his or her heart but sometimes you know if you really want it so badly you pay for it if you have the means of course uh, you find somebody that's great you know find somebody that you can afford and pay for that help you will you will get it back if you do find the right person and this is something that i think about when i was starting codewiz if i had started with a business coach i would have had a much better first year second year and even third year than i did uh, but I was trying to learn, do everything by myself and learn everything by myself. But if I had just made that investment in the right business coach, that could have turned things around. So that is that is some form of mentoring too when you work with um, working with a business coach. So I just wanted to put that out there as yeah, well. Absolutely. And speaking of starting CodeWiz, we are the Entrepreneurs Start Here podcast. So we're super interested in the like the nitty gritty specifics of what did you do at the start? Like what were the very first steps you took? Um, did you sit down and say like write out a business plan? Did you, um, I don't know, brainstorm names? Did you, I don't know, what did, you, what did you do? Write a whole bunch of ideas down, pick one from a hat. Like you were like, I wanna just work for myself. So let me just try something. Like what, what was like the very first step for you? Okay, uh, so the very first step for me, um, interestingly enough, was to look at franchises. So okay. I looked at, um, you know, I said, all right, I want to do, I want to do my own business. Maybe I should look at a franchise. And then I looked at 7-Eleven, didn't feel like a fit. I looked at um, daycares, felt too much. Um, and then I started to, you know, I wasn't sure, I was like, oh, what do I do? And then my husband was like, um, yeah, why don't you look at, you know, coding, right? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. I was just trying to think through things. And he said, why don't you look at franchises? So he was the one that took me down the franchise route. And then I started looking at um, 7-Eleven and daycare franchises. And then it was at that point, I was like, but wait a minute. That's when I had that realization of I want to do something that uses my background and something that, you know, in, that impacts people. So I'm like, okay, let's look at coding for kids, franchise.
franchises. And so I started looking at the franchises in that space. Um, I didn't like the options that I, that were out there. And so I decided that I was just going to, you know, start my own. And so my next step after deciding that that's what I wanted to do, um, a friend of mine, I mentioned it to a friend of mine, and she recommended going to this business seminar that was put on by the SBA. So the SBA is um, Small Business Administration here in the U.S. And so from there, they started to tell me about funding. So anyways, two, three weeks down the line, I was matched with a SCORE mentor who kind of helped me understand you know, businesses and, you know, what I needed to think about, how I needed to get started. Um, and then she uh, connected me with the bank and then she helped me with the business plan and financial plan and all of that. So my my journey in starting it started with mentor mentorship. Like I found somebody who knew that world and was able to kind of guide me through the very first step that I needed to take to to get started and that really helped because it gave me um, a lot of credibility with the bank when i told the bank i'd been working with this uh, sba mentor because they knew that person and they're like okay if you've worked with her and she thinks you're good to go then we'll be we feel comfortable approving this loan for you so that's kind of kind of how that started then we went down the path of okay what name do we want to choose that was guided by uh, what was available on the internet. You know, I tried a whole bunch of things, code. I don't remember now though, but like I tried a whole bunch of variations and um, the domain names were all taken. So I was like, all right, fine. The code whiz was the only domain name that was available. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> we're gonna stick with code whiz. And then the next step was finding a logo. And then there were tons of iterations around that. and that was like that was a family effort my my entire family was voting on different logos my younger sister uh, prides herself in being the creative of the family so she was very adamant adamant about picking this one that we we have now she's like this is it forget all the other ones this is it everybody else voted for the other ones interestingly enough she was the only one you know, fighting for this one. And she was just so loud where I was just like, okay, we'll pick this one. Uh, but I think it, it actually turned out to be a pretty good choice. It is a cute logo, for sure. Yeah. You guys know that it's a mouse? Most people don't know that it's a mouse. Oh yeah, I, I thought for okay. sure it was a mouse. It would be kind of always like a robot with a single strand of hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't get it. It's, it's really interesting. That's but yeah, well, I guess uh, I'm, I'm actually the product of a coding camp myself. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, a pretty serious graduate. Uh, we we made Frogger, the you know the old video game in, in Visual Yay. Basic. So yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I did. I guess I didn't follow that, you know, path. <laughs> right. I, I don't know anything about tech of any kind, really, honestly. But um, I guess it was pretty limited. We had to make Frogger, and it had to be mm -hmm. Visual Basic. So I had heard that your program starts out with asking kids what they want to build, and then building off that. Uh, having it be like driven by by the youth I guess so mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of similar to what we do in terms of like business coaching like helping someone achieve what they want within mm -hmm. uh, you know their goals so I guess like is that is that how it works for you guys you're, you're helping it's, it's self-driven by by the young I guess yeah students. yeah exactly because just kind of just like you said in business coaching when when a goal is yours when you own the goal 
then you would be very driven and determined to hit that goal versus when it's it's something that um, a third party sets for you. So if I, as the, the teacher says, um, you know, okay, everybody make Frogger, right? What if you don't like Frogger? You don't care about, you know, that kind of thing, or you, you don't want to do visual basic, you want to do something else, you really like robotics, you know, but now you're stuck in the path, in an arbitrary path that has been set for you by someone else. So that is, that, that was actually one of the reasons why I did not go down um, the path of being a franchisee with one of the um, other coding companies that was available at the time uh, was because I really, I really strongly felt that kids needed to have their own path. They needed to create their own path. They need to personalize their own path because technology is just so broad. And when you pigeonhole people into saying you have to do this, then we start to feel like school. I didn't want us to feel like school. I wanted the kids to, I wanted our place to be the place that kids wanted to come to after school because they get to do what they want. And they get to, while they're doing what they want, they're still learning at the same time. I guess that must be also an interesting parallel for you to have a guest coming from Microsoft, which I'll be like a very prestigious job. Like it, that was not very self-directed. Is the self-directed element the main thing that made you want to go into business for yourself? Yes, yes. Just leave me to do what I want to do. You know, I want to try my own things. I, I if I have ideas, I want to I want to try them out and see. And it's totally fine if it doesn't work. You know, it might work. It might not work. It's fine. But just the flexibility to be able to have ideas and try those ideas without going through like hundred layers of approval uh was a was a really big thing for me and and yeah like you said it was it was a prestigious job and you know you tell everyone you work at microsoft and it's like whoa you know what most people didn't know was that i wasn't doing that much because unfortunately there really just wasn't that much work to be done it's like a hundred thousand sounds nice yeah <laughs> yeah until you're in it for like a year you know and then they're all you're, all you're doing is oh push push a button from here, oh, push it back here. And it's just like, it's just busy work, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to do much more than that. And and then another big aha moment for me was, you know, they would, the corporate guys would come from Seattle and they'd be like, oh, you know, we made a billion dollars in profits this quarter and everybody gets three grand. And I was just like, oh, you know, if I had putting that much time into my own business, I could potentially be doing more than three grand, you know, and I would have the freedom and the flexibility to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. So those were two, um, two things that that kind of pushed me over the edge there. It seems like yeah. purpose was a really big driver. Like you, you kind of seem like you do things out of passion and that seems to be working for you honestly like you started so you started this in 2017 so it hasn't been that yeah. long and wow. um, you have a very successful franchising company now um it's kind of funny that you you're like oh maybe I could own a franchise nah I don't like any of them I'll just create a whole franchise <laughs> business instead <laughs> That's awesome. Which, which probably means that I would have been a terrible franchisee. Maybe I'd have been a great, you know, once 
franchisees that are number one to 10 do tend to be more entrepreneurial because you're part of a system that's just growing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when you have a franchisee that's super entrepreneurial, it can be challenging for the for the franchisor because they have all these ideas and they want to do all sorts of things. So we call those mavericks. <laughs> when we <Yeah>. work <laughs> um, so I'm curious. So we are connected because we both are part of the Clear Summit Group group of franchises. Mm -hmm. So what has that been like working with Clear Summit Group, and what are some of the benefits of being part of a franchising group like that? yeah it's been great honestly it's been great i keep um i keep waiting for the shoe to drop i keep waiting for like oh my gosh this is gonna be so bad you know i keep waiting for that you know when you think about the transition curve right mm -hmm. that moment where you're like oh this is the worst idea ever i should never have done it i haven't gotten there yet and i hope i don't maybe i just skip that phase altogether hopefully uh being a maverick and all maybe there's like a <laughs> different transition curve yeah you guys are on your own curve <laughs> <laughs> just on my own curve exactly uh, but no it's it's been really really great um i think one of my biggest concerns as someone who doesn't like a ton of structure and i i like flexibility and and freedom one of my biggest concerns was um you know, if I come in, are they gonna try to, you know, constrain me? Will I be able to do things that I want to do? Will I be able to try new things? Will I still be, you know, the visionary and and for CodeWiz and you know build the kind of company that I want to build? That was my big concern um, coming in. And so I remember, I, I don't know if I wonder if Frank will listen to this, but he'll probably find this funny. Uh, when so when we came in, when I came in. And then Frank reached out and he was like, all right, so I'd like to <clears throat> I'd like to schedule weekly one on ones. I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Like, I don't want to do one on ones. You know, I want freedom. You know, I just want to meet with you when I want to meet with you and all of that. But I'm like, OK, Ruth, this is what you signed up for. And so we we had you know the first couple of one on ones. I, I tried to be open, uh, but by the third or fourth, I was, I would always be the first one on the call because I'm like, you got to come here on time. I have so many questions. I have so much to learn. I need, can we make this an hour long? Because it was 30 minutes before. Can we make this an hour long? And so I came in not wanting one-on-ones, but then I started to really appreciate um, those kinds of meetings and then just the experience that um, Frank and all the other guys, I, I interact with Frank the most, how much he has and how much I don't know. I started to realize how much I don't know. And so it's really been, it's really been great. I think CodeWiz, if we had started, if we had been still stayed on our own, no, hold on, let me think about how to phrase this properly. We are, I feel like we're about three years ahead of where we would have been if we were, we were on our own. So it's been it's been really great just having people to talk to again just the mentoring that's the biggest thing is having someone to talk to so you're not making the same you're not making mistakes and you're avoiding all the minefields that uh, that exist within franchising it's it's been great well, that's amazing that's great to hear i heard you say you know you're, you're pretty flexible you like the freedom um, yeah. i guess it's not every day i get to talk to a ceo so uh, how, do, how does a CEO go about, you know, structuring their day? 
what like when you say like freedom like you, you mean you keep it pretty loose on the routine because i'm kind of trying to force myself into a rigorous routine right now but i don't know naturally i'm more of the, the freedom loving sort so i guess i'm wondering what your <laughs> thoughts are on, on the structuring of the day yeah you know um so one of the things that i wanted was i don't want to be in an office just want to wear what i want to wear I want to wake up whenever I want to wake up, you know, go to bed when I want to go to bed so I can work. If I like, I can work from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. If I want, I can do 1 p.m. to 1 a.m., right? Just having, being able to do work on my own terms. Like I recognize that I work, I probably work 80 to 100 hour weeks at this point, which I do not recommend. Um, but just being able to set that schedule and being able to say, all right, I'm blocking off 10 to 12 because I'm going for my kids recital and not having to, you know, take a sick day or get approval from 10 different people that that was one of the biggest things for me. But as the team started to grow, I started to realize that that doesn't work for everyone. You know, I, I need to have one on ones with people. I need to have um, more structure in my day. So what ends what what started to happen was because we didn't have I didn't have structure. I'm like, hey, reach out if you need me. Everybody was constantly reaching out. So it's like I was constantly talking to people, constantly answering questions. And then I end up being super burned out because there was no um, you know, this is our one on one time to problem solve or to dig deep in problems. It was just, hey, just ping me whenever you need me. So it's like your phone just going off every two seconds. And so I started to think about, you know, better ways to structure my day. So now my calendar is nine to five. I know, kind of stinks, but um, it is nine to five. And I've broken that down into meeting time, focus time, and just, um, me time. So I get to do in me time, I could, you know, take a walk, exercise or do more work if I need to. But that is that is time that I have for myself and I get to decide what I want to do with um, with that time. So that's kind of the way I've, I still have some freedom, but still have some structure. I just broke up the calendar. If you need me, you know, talk to me between this time and this time. Let's set up meetings between this time and this time. Let's not have conversations after 6 p.m., please, unless it can't wait. If it can't wait, let's talk about it um, tomorrow. If it can't wait, of course, let's talk about it now. But just setting those some of those boundaries and then um, having a fixed calendar and trying to stick to it. But then working into the calendar some flex time. That has well, even even our freedom loving Maverick Ruth says you gotta have a structured day. I guess you there's, there's no you hope really for do. The, uh, that's that's too bad. I was afraid there's I was no way. Bad. There's no way to scale a company without structure. It's 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 what I've learned. Um yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were speaking about that. You can go really hard at the start and then but that's not necessarily sustainable. So yeah, it's uh, exactly. probably something you can only really learn the hard way and kind of get burnt out and realize yeah hey, like, okay <laughs> yeah this is why they talk about effective meetings this is why they talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> making the most of your time something like yeah that. <laughs> yeah um, I'm curious what advice you might give to somebody starting out right now somebody who's feeling like they don't want to work for somebody else for their whole life either yeah, um, I, I'll say that, you know, if, if that's something you're feeling, it's, um, 
it's something that's in you and something that you owe yourself to explore. You know, there, there are a variety of ways that you can go around it, but the worst thing you can do is not explore it or never try. I think that's the, that's the, that's, that would be a shame if you think, um, you know, Hey, I don't want to work for someone my whole life. I want to have my own business, but then you never try because you're afraid of failure. That that's the worst. Um, that's the worst outcome possible. Even if you fail, you know, you would have learned something from it and you would take that learning and do something. And when you try again, you would take that learning and do better the next time. I, I didn't mention it, but um, CodeWiz is my 11th business. So I've been trying all sorts of things, you know, and from from a lot of the other things that I tried, I took, it didn't work. It, CodeWiz is my biggest business, let's put it that way. The other ones were always like things on the side. Um, but then I always learned something from it. So when I did the dating website, that I spent, you know, five grand building because I'm a tech person. My mind immediately went to I have to build this in C sharp from the ground up. But then I learned after that that there's something called WordPress, and I could have spent three hundred dollars um, on WordPress and could have built my website on WordPress, and it would have been so much faster. So I took that learning, and then when I had the next business, I built that on WordPress. So just taking, you know, failure is not always a bad thing. You learn from it, you take what you learn and you do better next time. And you may not fail, right? And if you don't fail and you succeed, then great. But if, the biggest thing is people are always afraid of failure. But you have to think about failure as, as a journey. You know, you're gonna learn something, you're gonna take away something from it, you take it and you try again. And you keep trying until you find the one that, um, that works. And what did, for those 11 iterations before, what did failure, look like it was probably 11 different versions of it but at what point were you yeah. like eh, this is not gonna work i'm gonna move on with my life yeah well so let me see so like the the f very first one was um i was in a printing business and you know i was trying to do commercial this was back in nigeria i was trying to do you know how here everybody has like a little printer in their house or in their dorms it it, it wasn't that way um, very few people had access to printers and you have to print stuff for school. So I had a printer, I bought a printer and people would come to my room and they would print their stuff and they would pay me. But um, I did not realize I should have bought a commercial printer. I bought a personal printer. And so after paying more money than I was earning on fixing the printer, I realized that was a mistake. So let's just stop right now and just move on to something else. So I think it was when, when I started to realize that, um, and at that time I didn't have the money to reinvest in a new, uh, in a commercial printer. So I just, I just ended it there. Um, so I think it's actually a very good question. When do you know to stop, right? Versus is this just a roadblock that I need to get, get over? That was gonna be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you know it's I think it's very is dep it depends on the individual and it depends on how much you believe in that business and that cause like for me if printing was really my passion I could have found ways to make it work I could have gone elsewhere to you know, get money from someone else and buy a bigger printer and then pay back the loan. 
I could have kept going, but I think I recognized that this is not something that I wanted to continue to do, right? This is not something I wanted to continue to bang my head against. And so I was done with the, with the dating one. Um, you know, I put in probably like 10 grand into it. And then, um, I found that people were just not ready for it. You know, I kept talking to people, trying to get them to sign up and whatnot, and they were not ready for it. And so I recognized, okay, the market is not ready for this. I can keep pushing if I want to, but it's going to take a significant amount of effort to get this off the ground. Am I that passionate about dating? Not really. So I'm just going to put this to the side and let's try something else. Now with CodeWiz, I am crazy passionate about CodeWiz. And so like when COVID hit, it was like, you know, people would tell me, Ruth, you know, you've really tried. If if it dies right now, it's okay. No one will blame you. There's so many businesses going under. COVID is a great excuse. You know, everybody knows that you've tried. Um, and, and this was coming, uh, this was advice I was getting because I was in a bad state mentally. Like I was, I was breaking down just from the stress. And so, you know, this were friends, family, uh, religious leaders are like, just, you, you can let it go, it's okay. But I thought about the why, you know, why I was doing this. So unlike the dating one and the printing one where there was no personal why, this one was very personal to me. You know, being able to make that impact, uh, being able to change people's lives and even with all of the chaos going on with COVID, uh, parents would say, you know, thank you so much for keeping this going. This is the only thing that my child has that is constant in their life right now. This is the only thing that they're looking forward to because this is the one thing that hasn't changed. So thank you for doing this. And so I would, that, that's all I held on to. You know, it's like, but I'm doing this because I want to make an impact and I am making an impact. That is my why. And the why is is working. It's happening. Even though I am terribly stressed right now, it is working. And so I, I held on. I did take things down 10 notches. Part, I'm a maverick. I'm also a perfectionist. So I had to be like, all right, Ruth, 60% is enough, right? Nobody really cares at this point if it's perfect. So that's how I helped my mental state. But, but I held on because, again, back to the why, it was such a big part of what I do. And, and that's why I didn't give up and I kept pushing. So I think, yeah, if, if you're thinking, when, when is the time to give up? If, if you're no longer connected to that why, if your why is not driving you anymore, then you know, it's time to do something else. That was a great answer. Thanks so much. And I guess, uh, thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm not normally a very emotional guy, but it is a pretty <laughs> inspirational story. So thank awesome. you. You really did give us some great answers to those questions, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was incredible. Thank you so much. Uh, very grateful for your time. It sounds like you're a very busy lady. Um, I appreciate you. Yeah, with my structure. Yeah, yeah, thanks for fitting us into your structure. It's, it's <laughs> it was a 9 a.m. look at the uh, 9 to 5, I guess. Good luck yeah. with the rest of your seven hour day. <laughs> it looks like I have six minutes of flex time, which is great. All right. Yeah. I'll go figure out what I want to do till 10 o'clock. Six minutes of me time. <laughs> well, life of the CEO. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ruth. I'll talk to you. Later. I'm sure. Thank you. Bye. Bye.